Smashing Back Chaos with Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Not Geo Average Operator. <laughs> Fucking amateur hour. You know, you know what the worst part is? is since Mike isn't here, he's going to use this against us. He's like, see what happens when I'm not there? Trust us, Mike. We're better off. I know you're listening to this. Uh, we were just having chats about happy times when, when Mike wasn't with us. And look what happened. So welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos, everybody. There's been some uh, Not Your Average Operator archive stuff coming out, which is uh, good. Some really great conversations, actually. Stuff that I'd been good to revisit. How are you, Raf? I'm I'm good, mate. I have no complaints, man. I'm hanging out in Kona, Hawaii. Uh, for work brought me here. Right? Rather, I brought work here, so to speak. Uh, so I've been. I'm just living my best life, dude. Got a beautiful sunset last night. Um, you know, I was just thinking, um, as Mike would say, introspectively, uh, which is the only big word he knows. That's more than four letters. I, uh, you know, like these places are amazing, and you're like, God, it's beautiful, but it immediately hits you. It doesn't really mean much when you're not with the right people. Like if your family's not there, if your friends aren't there, it might as well be the fucking desert. Like it might as well be that. It's not that not to say that you don't appreciate it. Of course, it's, it's difficult. You know, I mean, the sunset's beautiful. It's Kona. I mean, it's the water's gorgeous. There's manta rays swimming off the rocks. But the whole time I'm like, fuck, man, I would love to see Soren like running around and seeing this. And, you know, Aubrey in a bathing suit looking all kinds of fun. Um, yeah, yeah, just, it's just, I mean, again, I'm not, don't feel bad for me. Work brought me here. So it's not like, it's not a terrible life, but, uh, yeah, it's a quick realization. Uh, It's a, I mean, no joke. That's a big thing. It's a big part of your life. It's been a big part of all of our lives. You know, we go through, I really feel like, you know, in your twenties, you're sort of figuring out what what you're going to do and you really start applying yourself to some serious skill acquisition, right? And then in your thirties, you're really building up your experience and building on that. And then like now in in your forties, you're like, I have gone through a lot of stuff to find the right partner. Like I, all these horrendous dates I went on and you know what I mean? It was all like, Oh, looking back, I was looking for this person to be the mother of my kids. Right. I understand you know, like 20 year old men better now, like all that stupid behavior. They, they don't know what, they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're using Google with their gorillas. I don't know which piece. And then you, you know, you've built your life with your partner and you've got your family and then you're like anything where there's time away from that is a pretty significant, like negative for me now. Like it's, it's a, it's an abrupt change. Like you just want to be with your family. That said, you know, we all have to go out and get resources in the world and stuff. And I've got to say, you're sitting there in your scum Star Wars T-shirt. you got the sun coming in the window over your right shoulder and it does not look shit. Like, <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? You're not, you're not in the gulag and a salt mine in, in uh, far eastern Siberia. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's it's hard to feel sorry for myself, man. It really it really is. Yeah. But but I, I think in small doses, that time apart is good. It's good to have introspection. It's good to think, to appreciate again. You know, you get you can always get in your own way, you know, in the day to day and getting niggled, you know, my, my cup of coffee wasn't that hot this morning. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you're apart and you're like, oh, hang on a second, all this really big stuff can become apparent, I reckon when you're just looking at it, when you step back a little. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's valid, man. That's all I was thinking. But I've had a, I've had, I've had an amazing week, actually. Uh, I think the last time I spoke to you two degenerates, um, had a trip wherever I went and then, uh, went with the family to go to one of my best friend's weddings, uh, do named Joel, uh, which I'd love to have on the podcast here shortly. Cause he's had a very interesting life. Um, just probably one of the most accomplished people I've ever met in, in the military armed forces, um, in the, in the American forces. But, uh, anyways, we, we met in flight school and, uh, He's just been kind of at the top level of his game, kind of a, another Matt Hopper, if you will. But went to his wedding uh, in Phoenix. So, you know, I'm pretty close with his brothers as well, with his family. He just has a, a beautiful family. And, and I got to meet his bride, lovely German girl. Um, so it was, it was just a good time, man. And like I was just talking to you, you know, before we started recording, Soren is like part fish. Like he just literally would not come out of the pool. I mean, and I don't blame him. It's like a hundred degrees in Phoenix, but he, man, he was having the time of his life, like literally just living it up. And I were just, it was, it was a great, it was a good little getaway for us. You know, we just haven't had, we're, we're planning a trip right now. We think we're probably going to go to South America early next year. We're looking at Ecuador, maybe Colombia, maybe Peru. We're trying to like put all this together, but we just haven't really had a family like, uh, vacation in a while. I mean, COVID put the kibosh on all that. So it was, it was nice to get away, Matt. Like it's been, I think since we started recording, so we're talking two and a half years now, I've not really seen you, like you have been, you're doing the ISR, you're doing that swing, flying, fly out, COVID hit, you were freaking isolating in hotels on the way in the way back. I mean, that was heavy. And then you went through that whole uh, push sort of around Christmas time last year and uh, made your way out of the, into the majors. And, and then you've been, you've been training and getting checked to the line, all that stuff. So it's, it's been a full on two and a half years for you guys. It, it has, man. It literally has like, and, and we would, it's not a subject that we touched on all the time, but I think eventually we just kind of like, we, we need to get away. Like we need to just, because you, you know, you get bogged down with this rat race. Like you're just trying to put out little fires here. Like it's, it's really what it felt like. We're always looking at our schedule. It's like, Hey, when are you going to be home? When are you going to be gone? Who's going to watch over a little man? You know, do we need to call mama Jay? And we do we need to call the big guns in to, you know, watch this little maniac. Um, so it, anyways, it's, it's kind of nice to know that the destruction that, I don't know if destruction is the right word, but like the things that uh, obviously we're not stoked about that COVID had kind of brought into our lives are kind of slowly just, it's a thing of the past, right? Like the normalizing of our life is, it, I can feel it now. Like it's, 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 uh, it's tangible and it's kind of nice. Like it's kind of know that it's good to know that all that is kind of left behind, you know, even like in the businesses, like you walk into a place and no one's really wearing a mask. There might be a couple, but it's, I'm sure it's their own personal reasons. It's not because, you know, they think code is still around. I, yeah. I hate to think that. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent on everything you just said. One of the things that I really, by the way, we should say, we should say to everyone, we're, Raph and I both start because Mike's not here. We're, oh. we're organized. We organize a special, a special evening just for, for Raph and I. Mike's off busy doing, doing Mike stuff. And we thought we'd jump in and have a, a topic that's near and dear to our heart. But in a second. I was just going to say, I really, I have found the benefit as I've gotten a bit older to have something booked in the future. And it doesn't have to be something big. 
it could be as much as a, a like a movie, you know, like a, a one a movie ticket and a and a bite to eat somewhere. But having certainly a plane ticket home from here, like post COVID, I really appreciate that having a having something, even if it's you know literally months, like next year sort of stuff. That I know I'm going to get to get back and see Mama McFadden and my brothers and my sister and and all that stuff, like. It just sort of gives you something to like having that positive future, you know, you're living into, you know, and it can be far off. It doesn't have to be like right here and it doesn't have to be something expensive. Just having something nice that you're looking forward to. That means something to you, you know, you and the wife get to remember why you like each other and, you know, and and special time with the little people. Yeah. Anyway, I think think that that does a percent on. I think that that feeds into like the topic. So Raf and I were, you know, in our in our downtime, we chat a fair bit and stuff that is like super important to him and I that we, you know, I, I don't want to speak, so I'm speaking for both of us, but I think I am when I say that the most important job I think I'll ever do is is being a father. And I I take that, you know, more seriously, I think, than I take anything else, anything I've ever taken in my life. And it's something... I aspire to do, I aspire to be able to sit back in my old age and put my feet up and think, you know what, I I don't think I realistically could have done a better job. And it's probably the only thing that I really strive every day. And, you know, I come up short and so on, but I was sort of, this is the thing that really energizes me the most. And I know Raf and I, I know I'm speaking for both of us, Raf, like that this is something that you and I take super seriously and, um, you know, like it's a lifetime impact that you leave behind and every decision and every, every moment is a blessing. And it's also something that can be difficult to get right. And so long story short, we just decided we'd do an episode basically on parenting. So for us as fathers, the challenges we've faced, the, the things we've loved the most, the the things that we've uh, changed our minds on. So, so parenting, we, we've come up with a couple of questions that we're going to work our way through and it's a massive topic. And, um, you know, suffice to say, we'll, we'll touch on a few things that are important and hopefully we prompt a few thoughts and conversations and please don't think that we've got to figure it figured out with uh, it's a work in progress. And I think every day there's a new challenge and what, what worked yesterday won't work in the future in some areas, but I really feel like if you can find some principles and introduce that stuff into your, uh, into your family life, you're, you're well on your way. All right. Anything you wanted to say about just the topic overall there, Ralph? No, I, I think you addressed it pretty succinct with the way I feel. Yeah. All right. So I'm just going to dive right in. What is the biggest change in belief or action that you've made as a father? So a, a way of doing things that you thought about and you're like, right, I'm going to do it this way. And then later you, you've made a change. You're like, not necessarily that it was wrong, but you figured out, you know, you got new information in or you had to adjust, you know, you had a battle plan and then you had first contact with the enemy and now you got, you got a different <laughs> scenario. <laughs> Uh, man, that that list is long, but I think that one of the more important changes that I've noticed 
is what, you know, when we first had Soren, I had this idea of what, like the things that I had to hold true to, to kind of keep the course going. Like I knew that, um, like I would be, you know, that you're going to be challenged by your child, right? Like whenever you ask the child to do something, they're going to say no, they're going to, they're, they're, they're just going to challenge you and you're going to have to stick to your guns. And so I was kind of a, a bit of a hard ass in the beginning. I would say once Soren really started interacting with us, like, you know, whatever the rule was, I'm like, no, that's the rule. That's how we're going to stick to it. And then of course you start to see him kind of play both sides. Like if, if daddy says no, he goes straight to mom and has the same question. And usually the good thing about Aubrey and I is that we've come to the consensus where like, if, if I say no, because we've had this issue in the past, whereas I said no, and she kind of goes, well, is it really? I'm like, babe, don't, like, we should not question each other's authority in front of this child, because he's yeah. going to see that as a weak point, exploit it, and, and then it's over. <sighs> Having said that, so, so we are good about that. If I hear her say no or yes, then I will support, even if I don't agree with it, at that moment, I'm going to support it. Behind closed doors, I'm like, ah, maybe next time we'll let him do whatever. So that's covered. The thing that I have changed is that what, even if the rule is, you know, whatever, like you have to eat your piece before you, you eat a piece of meat. I, I really just, I stopped going straight off the rule and I really just try to kind of feel the emotion and the way he feels and just the kind of the space that we're in. And sometimes it's okay to just be like, you know what, what I just, because the overarching theme, and of course every parent feels this way, but Soren genuinely is a good fucking soul. Like he's a really, really, He's a good kid. And of course he's got his fits. And, and I have to like, kind of just understand that he is a child. And so he's, he's just going to have these emotional moments. Um, and I'm going to have to just kind of really take that into account. And so before, when I was just like, doesn't matter if he throws a fit, I'm going to hold the line on this. And now it's kind of like, you know what, I'm going to leave that hard ass to the side and just, and maybe just see what his problem is. Maybe he's just tired. Maybe he's whatever, you know, um, it, yeah. And so I guess that's a roundabout way of saying that, like, I, I've kind of just come to like, I have, I know I have my rules and I have, you know, the rules of the house and we're going to kind of stick with them, but every once in a while, it's okay to break them. It's okay to just hug them and hold them and just say, Hey buddy, I guess we're not going to do that today or whatever. Um, and I, that's been difficult for me. It really has because I can't, I grew up in a house that was very regimented. Like my, my dad didn't, there was no fuckery. Like if that man said, this is what we're doing, <laughs> damn it. That's what we're doing. Like there was no room for, you know, there's just no room for that shit. Uh, that's, that's very Hispanic Latin household. Um, mm. And so it's been very, that, that's been a struggle for me because it's like, am I raising a serial killer by letting him get away with, you know, eating <laughs> chocolate before, before dinner or whatever. But it's, you know, I have to, like, I have to, I guess it's important for me. And I think this is where it's coming from. It's important for me to, for him to understand that I genuinely love him. Like, I, yes, I'm going to be a hard ass. Yes. I'm going to set the rules and my, and my job is to protect you. I'm your father. I'm here to make sure you're going to be a good person, but that's it. But he has, he needs to get those messages where like, dad does love me, you know, like, I don't know where I'll come and I'll hug him and I'll kiss him and, you know, and I'll make concessions with him. But, um, you know, like, again, it's, and sometimes I get it wrong. Let me, let me be the first to tell you. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, fuck, I should have probably not let him do that, you know? Or, yeah. Mate, I, I just agree, pretty much agree violently with everything you just said from the start where, you know, the enemy will find and exploit your weaknesses and the, uh, <laughs> the KGB will play. <laughs> 
both sides off against each other. This <laughs> the chain of command must be unified in the face of the enemy, right? <laughs> so, like if it doesn't matter what they've asked, it's like if if mummy has said X, it's X. And if daddy yeah. said what, it's why in front of the soldiers. And then we can go behind closed doors and yeah, we can thrash it out. Be like, you idiot, you know, like I had this other thing, but it's like, no, nah, if, if it's been communicated down the chain of command, we're in alignment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because these, these, little, these little terrorists will take us apart and have a spin. <laughs> so they wrote the playbook. Yeah, they wrote the playbook. What Al Qaeda is <laughs> using right now, they literally took a child's book and said, right, yeah. this is what we're doing. This yeah, is how we take, yeah. yeah. That's a hundred percent. We're going to bring society down <laughs> by playing mum off against dad. It's like, yeah, every movie you've ever seen and it happens. So a hundred percent, a hundred percent there. And I also, I want you to know that like, I, I was lucky. I grew up in a house that I think for like the, you know, early eighties, it was pretty unusual where there was a lot of affection from my dad, but it was no joke. There was a disciplinarian in a house and there was the belt came off from time to time. And the three McFadden boys knew, you know, we had fear, fear of the Lord in our house. I have never, um, there's never ever been any corporal punishment in my house. I just could not even tolerate the thought of it, you know, and I was like, I had to figure out a different way of doing things. And I, I really feel like what you've got there, you know, there was like rules and you were like, I've got to be really careful about this because I'm creating a human being who <laughs> could go off the rails. Like I said, could, could become a mass murderer. I mean, thoughts go through your head, right? Like how, how, what are the deep implications of these types of behaviours and so on? Like I get it. But I also really respect the fact that there's just everything's love-based, you know? Like Cherry, Cherry and I legit were talking about this last night because like this topic is something I aspire to greatness, you know what I mean? Like I, for me, this is, you know, the the, the big league, the pro game, the freaking the Oscars, yeah. whatever, whatever your thing is, this is the thing that I take the most seriously. And um, having love at the heart of everything, every engagement with the kids and, and as, as they get older, you can introduce logic, you know, but there's no, there's no room for logic when they're three, you know, and just knowing yeah. that you're going to, you're going to hold them and, and hug them and everything's okay. Our little discipline routine was if someone, it was, I remember the, the first time Annie did something, deliberately naughty and Jerry and I were like looking at each other like oh my god what do we do now you know <laughs> we, we had to leave the room and we're like shit you know like what do we do and it's like everyone's gonna do yeah our sweet little angel premature baby legally blind did something deliberately naughty and he was like oh we well I think we need to have some sort of limited consequences and anyway we developed a system where there was like the number of minutes for their age in like the laundry, a safe room, but super boring. There's no, nothing in there that's fun. Just sitting on the floor, number of minutes equal to their age until they're like under control and then ask them if they're ready to, to, to talk. And then you would just go through a little who, who was upset, what was done and who do we need to say sorry to and go and say sorry to them and then go back and be like, okay, so what happened? How do they, how did they feel? How do they feel now? All right, that's all finished. Now you're a good boy or you're a good girl. And you get to be good again and a big hug and lots of love and off they go. And I could see the little switch would go like they were. I remember seeing Michael being naughty and looking at me and it was like, I was like, I saw he wanted me to come in and help him. Like he was a bit out of control, take him in there and 
you know, went through the little rigmarole and then he's so happy at the end. He knows that he's going to be get, get to be a good boy again rather than like you're in trouble or you're in disgrace for like, you know, weeks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Fear of the Lord for, for a, an extended period of time. So I reckon Love Primary is unreal as a as a priority there, Raf. The the biggest thing is that um I made a change in was we brought Annie home and it was like we were just going to be like, whatever that child wants, she gets, you know. And and after a couple of months, it was like there was just no sleep happening. And I was having to go to work to fly and I was sleeping in another room. And we were really like at our wit's end of like, but she needs to be fed, you know what I mean? She needs this and she needs that. And she's used to having monitors and alarms and stuff. And yeah. so we, we got some advice and I was like, you guys need to go down the path of like introducing some boundaries here to get her into self-soothing. And for self, for us self-soothing, what was happening was she'd wake up and we'd be like, wow, she's awake. Hooray. You know, pop the champagne sort of thing and play with her. And then she started to get grouchy and Cherry would feed her. And then she'd get sleeping and fall asleep, you know, while, while nursing and then put her to bed and she'd wake up and mum wasn't there. And so she'd go crazy because where's mum? I was just having a hug. And then it was in this, this horrendous loop when, the only person who could put her to sleep was Cherry. Cherry wasn't getting any sleep anyway. So we changed from baby wakes up from play, feed, sleep into wake up, feed straight away, play until the first sign of fatigue, then swallow them and put them down. And the change was hard because that little, our little general had the household going exactly the way she wanted it. And the psychologist at the hospital told us it's going to be it's going to be three days. It's going to be pretty hard. Mum's going to find it the hardest. Dad, mm-hmm. you're going to have to sit. You're going to have to sit at the bottom of the stairs with an alarm clock running, a stopwatch. Oh, sorry, a stopwatch running. And it was difficult. So we we changed to this like it was called. There's various ways for it, but it was it was packaged as a thing called control crying at the time. And man. Cherry would be like knife out, ready to kill dad at the bottom of the stairs. You know, has that been, has that been 90 seconds yet? And I was like, God. Anyway, three days of tough stuff. And then it was just unreal. And then when Michael was born, we just went with that. And I remember the day that Cherry was like, he was crying. She's like, change a nappy. There's no nappy. Want to feed? Didn't want to feed. And she didn't know what to do with him. He was going, man, do you want to cuddle? Didn't want to cuddle. She had him swaddled and she just put him in his bassinet just for a second while she could get some stuff. And he wriggled got this big smile on his face and just fell asleep. I was like, oh, man, he just wanted to go to bed. And I will tell you now at 13 and 15, these kids put themselves to bed. They get up in the morning. Michael makes his own breakfast. He makes his own lunch that he takes with him to school. And he has done that probably for five years. I think he was doing it when you were here, Raph. And in the evening, we never have to check lights out time or bedtime or anything like that. Like they, they play, they do their stuff, they do their schoolwork. They put themselves to bed. And I feel like it was something that got introduced early that they self-soothe. And it was like under this system, you didn't have to be there to, to prove that it was safe. They knew the whole environment was safe. It was a totally safe environment the whole time. They wake up in the night and have a little check. Everything's around. Yep, same room, same toys, et cetera, back to sleep. Or now I need a meal or whatever. So that was a massive one for us that we changed. And the second one that I changed was homeschooling. I used to think homeschooling people were pretty weird and that there was, you know, like an agenda or maybe a very strong religious conviction or whatever. Anyway, we, we're homeschooled Annie for a couple of years here and it has been the best thing for her. I mean, we had a, a couple of really amazing um, 
mums here who were just wonderful people. Christina Forgeron was just an unbelievable Canadian, highly qualified uh, one of the wives, one of Cherry's best friends singing with her, and she schooled Annie for a couple of years. And anyway, we, but now homeschooling has just been the perfect solution for her, where Cherry's like the full-time assistant, got the home set up, all the stuff we need, and it just works perfectly for Annie in her with you know, her physical situation, the reality of her life, it works really well. She's in a home, she's in a room, she does her school, she comes down, smashes the drums for a couple of hours and, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. So those are two big ones was like control crying and homeschooling. It was a big flip for us. Yeah, so it's interesting you bring up the homeschool thing because that's something that Aubrey and I have been touching on for the last, I don't know, couple months. Um, We just, we do we've heard so many horror stories from parents regarding um, just some of the, I hate to use the word indoctrination, but but their kids are being introduced to these ideals that they don't necessarily agree with back home. Right. Ideologies, Um, ideologies, like belief systems, strange as made as way. Yeah. Which, which is, you know, unnerving as a parent, like, look, I want you to teach my kids science and math and how to be successful. Now don't, the ideology should be left up to me. Like as a father as you know, my religious beliefs and all, like, I don't need you to indoctrinate. Anyways, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. So we've seriously have put some thought into this and we we're kind of leaning on, on the homeschool thing. And it's every time I, you know, I fly with a new captain or whatever, you know, we're talking about family life and I, I've, I'm surprised at how many people have been homeschooling their kids for the last couple of years. And this, but it's, it's not just, it's not because they're trying to escape these, this indoctrination or whatever these schools are doing. It's the success rate that has really, I found fascinating. These kids are uber successful going on to the military Academy, going on to Ivy league schools, going on to be engineers, STEM careers. I mean, these are kids that are, and I'm, and you know, as far as, and they almost all say, as far as it, you know, cause everyone's concerned is like, what about socializing these kids? Listen, homeschool kids are socialized more than, than not because they they're part of multiple clubs, you know, multiple, like, cause you have the time, you have the flexibility you have, and then you also have the exposure to multiple adults. It's not just other kids. And, uh, it, I think it's fascinating. So anyways, we're, we're going to try to solve that, that issue down the road. Um, but it, yeah, it's interesting. You just said that because it, this is something we've really, it's near and dear to our hearts. And again, we want to give just like any parent, we want to give someone the best tools possible to have the most productive life possible. And I just don't think public school is, is just right now it's, it's been hijacked. Yeah. And what, what's funny is, you know, we've got, we've got Michael at the American International School here and he is absolutely thriving. And so it's not like there's only one solution. And I, I will say probably this is going to be the last place in the world that gets that, that ideological infection into school curricula. I think this is probably the last place, you know. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think you're in the safest possible place for that. <laughs> it's funny, right? It's funny. Yeah. So... I'll get another one. Yeah. What's the thing, what's the thing that as, as a father, you find the hardest or the thing as a father that is the biggest cause of cause of stress or pressure or concern, you know, the thing that, the thing that is the hardest for you, like the thing that, I don't know, keeps you awake at night or the thoughts you have. Yeah. that That's pretty easy actually. The thing that haunts me in my sleep is knowing that uh, time with my son is finite 
And there's so much, there's so much that I want to do and I want to experience with him and I, and I want to teach him. But I know that every day that I'm gone from the house, every day that, you know, I don't have an interaction or, you know, that we're just not in the, the right place to interact. I, I just know that that's lost time that I'm never going to get back. And that shit literally haunts me because I, again, you know, I could die tomorrow. I could die years from now. It just, my time is limited. Even if I live to 90, you know, even if I do what Dr. David Sinclair wants me to do and I lived 120, like it's still, it's still not, I want more time. You know, I'm his father. I want to spend as much time as I can with, with my family. So that's honestly, that's always at the forefront of my head. Like I know that my time with him is extremely finite and it's almost scary because it's like, I hope it's enough. You know, that's my fear. Like I've had, a, you know, I, we've spoken about John, never got to meet James. And that's always, that's always there. Like just knowing that, you know, not, not just what John lost, but what James lost as well. Not having met John and having John impart wisdom and having that relationship like that he had with his dad, Larry, because that, you know, Larry and John had a phenomenal relationship and, you know, it's not perfect like anything else, but John genuinely loved Larry. Like I know that, you know, Larry was a great father. Um, Do you want so to just give a little backstory? Do you want to just give a little backstory there, Raf? Cause this is pretty pertinent, right? Like this is, yeah. this is exactly up the, right up the channel of parenting and, and, and fathering, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. And so this so, is your, your dear friend that you grew up with. Yeah, John House unfortunately died in January, well, January 25th, um, uh, 2004, or was it 2005? I think it's 2005. He he was in the back of a siege 53. They uh, unfortunately, after like fierce fight and and kind of taking over Fallujah, he was that second wave that went back into Fallujah and you know basically took the town back from Al Qaeda. Um, they unfortunately the pilots made a mistake. They they should have gone in a burn MC, started climbing. Instead, they I think they started looking for the ground because they lost visibility in front of them. And that helicopter crashed, killed everybody on board. He was on board uh, with like 31 other Marines. Um, I've known John since whew, like middle school. I mean, we, we go way back. Um, one of my dearest, closest friends, along with Elliot, we were like the three amigos, just the three idiots running around. Uh, you know, we had other friends, but I would say the core of my friendship were those two. Um, you know, I was raised with him. Uh, I was a corpsman. I was with the Marines. John kind of followed suit the, actually the three of us kind of all did it. Um, and again, John and Melanie had been married and I, you know, I'd known Mel Melanie literally since the day that they, that they met. And, uh, it was, and we have, you know, there's a whole episode on this, uh, in our previous uh, podcast and, um, so they get married, they have James while John is in Iraq and he got to, he got to, this is like early, you know, this is like pre zoom. So he got to do like, I think cell phone, not cell phone, but like sat, satcom oh. technology. Yeah. Yeah. To, to see the, to see the delivery, to, you know, be there with Melanie as best that he could, but he never physically got to hold James. I think James was four months old when Melanie got the knock on the door, you know? Yeah. It was, uh, it was pretty devastating. It was, I mean, it, it was devastating to me. I can only imagine, you know, and obviously we got a little bit of Melanie's story and, and she's such a, just such a fucking legend. That girl um, has really just risen from the ashes and just a tremendous, I mean, just a beautiful soul. Uh, I'm trying not to cry. Sorry. Um, Man, but it's, I, a, it's, a, it's a massive story, right? And what Melanie 
has done with her son and the amazing young man he is. And there is a beautiful episode, and I believe that her story has actually been put in print now as well. I think she's got a section of a book that has been released. I mean, this is just, you know, I've only met her in the one episode, and she's just, it's just an extraordinary story, an extraordinary human being, and it's, 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 all, it's a real life thing. And, yeah. And the point, the point as it sort of applies here, Raph, is that time, you know, you never know. And this is, you, you know, your closest friend growing up and probably one of your first friends you saw become a, a father, you, you, yeah. you had the time taken away. Yeah. And so this is something that's, I can well imagine why this is your, your number one thing, why it comes to the forefront of your mind. Yeah. You know? This is, yeah, this is something that I, that I deeply meditate about, that I think about often, knowing that again, my time and clearly because it's, it's happened in my life, right? I the closest people in my circles and John's not the only one. Unfortunately, I, I've lost a lot of friends in the military, uh, flying Blackhawks. Um, and I know that they left family behind. So it's, it's very, very visceral. Like I, I know like it's not, mm. Well, no, 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 no. I, it's going to happen, right? It, like I said, no one's making it out of this bitch alive. So it's coming for all of us. And this is something that it, it, it's always been in the back of my mind after my dad passed when I was 11. Just that whole deep knowledge right down in your bones that we're all mortal and that the clock is running for all of us and none of us know the time or the hour and that we really have to make the most of what we have. And somehow my dad in 11 years on me still is the biggest impact of any man I've ever met, you know, and I, and this is the background of me, this whole stress thing is trying to live up to my dad, you know, the, yeah. the impact he had on my life and the example he provided. And I think about him all the time when I'm making fathering decisions, you know, like just the wisdom. Anyway, it's strange because I'm older than him now. You know, he was 43 when he passed on 46. It's a crazy thing to think, but that whole sense that, you know, the clock is running for all of us, it is something that we should all be aware of. You should all take the time to process that we're all mortal, you know? So you don't go through these stupid midlife crises when it, like, you, you figure it out one day actually you're going to pass and you, you run off and have an affair or do stupid stuff in your life. Like get it out of your system, talk to people and work your way through it. But also don't be ruled by it, you know, like get on with your life and right. implant these principles and pieces of gold in your, in your kids and give them those great examples as well. But I totally understand that whole uh, time is finite, Raph, and I know you touched last week on uh, moving into the football coaching role, you know, and I just, once again, like your life has been the topic of conversation here at the McFadden House and, you know, much respect to you, mate. My, is there anything you also wanted to say there about the thing that you find the hardest or the, the thing that causes you the most stress? Yeah, just to kind of, I guess, give, give kind of like the thesis of, of what really what I came to regarding the time, the time piece is, you know, it's not a comfortable thought. So for anyone listening, I, I implore you to actually think about it because everyone, like you said, everybody time is running out and it don't let it keep you up at night. Although it does sometimes, at least mostly in the past, but it's important because it really motivates you to carve out the time. And that's, that, that's what you need to do. Because when you carve out the time, there is a sense of peace, like, you know, 
like you know that you created that moment with the people that you love and you and and it's just there's that sense of peace like if something were to happen to me at least i i left that that kind of that moment and i and i and i like to think that they're going to have the same memories i did and you know that sort of thing so don't let it fill you full of fear and, and like make you kind of like hole up and like wrap everybody in bubble wrap that, that's not what the the purpose yeah. of this is it's just just know that your clock is running out like all of us not you know um and so create the moments right to make the effort so the world is always this whole show is about chaos and we're pushing back against the world is a fucking busy place there are a million things and we talked about this in a previous episode million things that are always asking of your attention if it's not that stupid ass phone in your hand it's all these other things put those fucking devices away fuck the algorithms look at your family and hug them and tell them you love them and i'm saying that to myself i'm not preaching to anybody else i'm literally saying that to myself because you know i am my own worst enemy you know i i love getting after shit but it's also my biggest downfall. And I have to always remind myself to just put that, those fucking devices away and stop worrying about what's coming four days from now, you know, what trip I'm going on, whatever. And just, just live for the moment. Cause I don't always do it. And it pisses me off. I don't think anyone, I look, I don't think there's any, there's no perfection, right? And perfect is the enemy of good. And you don't have to sweat the little things when you are putting the big rocks in the jar. But that's such a – what you just said that I was going to say, create the moments. And I, I feel like this awareness of mortality, when you have it clear, gives you a very powerful filter for bullshit that comes into your life and other people's priorities that people want to throw the monkey on your back and all that sort of stuff. You know, they want to offload their bullshit job or they've got this thing that's urgent for them. Then you're able to just say, you know what, I'd love to do that. Or you can just say no. You know, and I'll – it's, it's, that's just not a priority for me at the moment because I've got this little guy, I've got these kids. And it's something that people just, you know, they either get it or they don't. And you don't have to explain yourself, I don't think, to people who don't understand, you know. I think it's a really great filter to be able to engage the word no when you're getting in demands that are not aligned with your ultimate purpose. I think that's really good and clear, mate. The thing that I stress about and that I've always found stressful is just, my self-imposed decision or my self-imposed belief, I guess, that I'm responsible for resource acquisition to bring it in for the family. And that's that's something that I have taken very seriously with, um, you know, having a special needs child. That was a big motivator for me, like a massive rocket to get out there. And there was no way I was going to have a child of mine reliant on a government pension or a government handout or a program that could be changed at a stroke of a pen, you know, future, we don't have enough money for this program. Boom. And then, you know, ultimately for me, that's not a government responsibility. That's a father's responsibility and that's my responsibility. And that's been, that's been something that has always played on my mind. And I just, you know, life insurance, I've got a shitload of life insurance, you know, so that if, stuff goes down my family would be in the same position we were when my dad passed you know like the house is paid off at least you know there's never enough money like i've probably gone a bit overboard but i lived through it you know and if if my dad hadn't taken big steps we would we would really have been in a hurt locker yeah. mum with you know single mum four kids and uh you know part-time teaching there's not a lot of there's not a lot of fat for anything there right so you know, I just, like, again, I, I encourage people like Rafa's 
sort of alluded to here, just staring in a mirror and being realistic and, and recognizing that this clock is running and think about your family and, you know, have a will written, talk to planners if you need to, to, to figure out insurances and that sort of stuff. Because in my mind, that, that is one of the top priorities for the father, the head of the household to sort that stuff out because, you know, all of the, the soft skill stuff, the love and the nurturing and stuff, there's probably someone near, nearby, i.e. within arm's reach, who's just got that stuff absolutely locked down, i.e. mum, you know, the, the heart of the household. And, you know, if you don't have the resources, life is extremely tough. It's extremely tough for yeah. a family, you know, I'm, I'm a single mum with no resources. So for me, that's been something I've taken super seriously my whole whole life as a parent and it's interesting i was listening to some stats around that you know that whole um the pay gap the gender pay gap i I was reading that until men have kids professional men now earn just a bit less than women and it's like a fire gets lit under everyone not just professionals just like trades everyone when they have kids guys start Right, they get that long distance truck license and start hauling yeah. stuff across the country, or they go fly in, fly out into the mines in Australia, and it's just like I think that this is a major driver of you know why our economies function and you know why the lights turn on when you flick a switch because there's men who feel that pressure to provide for their family, and I like I don't I don't think it's a negative thing. I think there's a lot of bashing of masculinity and maleness in the media at the moment and this ideology we were sort of alluding to earlier. And I really feel like if you just sit down and read some of the facts, some of this stuff becomes very clear that, you know, guys in their 20s can be bumming and partying and all that sort of stuff. And as soon as they've got kids coming, something happens and they get transformed and that drive to get out there and get those resources in for their family is really not a thing that anyone should be afraid of or should not be... uh, broken down or attacked like that is a a beautiful drive and it is something that is to be highly respected i think but anyway that's my yeah. one raf my yeah. massive my massive challenge that i that keeps me awake at night and i toss and turn still you know i don't think it'll ever go away yeah and if I, if I could say something i think that i've always admired you because i feel like you I've done a tremendous job, you know, acquiring the right resources for your family. Clearly, you guys have put you you put your family in a great position, but you did it solving one of the most complex problems, and that was, you know, when you go out and you get these, like you said, the resources, the money, the, the ability to live a decent life and, and and provide for your family. There's you're giving up something, right? You're not going to get that shit for free, and it's always time. But you are one of the few that I've actually been able to, like you've been able to navigate that, right? Like you guys, you took some sacrifices, you went uh, to Saudi Arabia, but you've also been able to maximize your family time. And I've, I mean, like I look at that, I'm like, that is like, that's literally the, the best solution I've ever seen in my life. Like, I just, I think it's amazing what you and Cheza have done, honestly, because you did it right. You played it right. I, do, I, I want to give a shout out to a guy in, in uh, Western Australia by the name of Mike Safi. And he was in the, his son was in the humidity crib next to Annie when we we're in the Nenari unit. And he was an ex army armored corps guy, tanky. And he, and he was one of these fly and fly out miners. He went and got a um, qualification in 
first aid and paramedicine and all that sort of stuff and then got into all the mind safety stuff and he just he and I hit it off we just you two peas in a pod in a very difficult situation with both of our kids lots of operations and you know lots of fear and sleepless nights and he said to me at one stage over a coffee we're just sitting quietly and he was like I don't want my kids to want for anything and I'm not just talking about finances I'm talking emotion I'm talking love I'm talking all of that stuff. And so for me, that was a really good early phrase to hang my hat on that you, when you provide everything for the child, it's not, it's not like dad's not here. I'd never see my dad, but I've got all these great PlayStation games and stuff. That is not what you're aiming to do. You are aiming for your child not to want for anything. And that emotional availability is a big deal. And, you know, Mike Safi, I take my hat off to him all the time as a father, an example, and, and there's something to aspire to. Guy getting after it in the mines, and he's got two amazing kids. How about you there, Ralph? Do you want to throw a question? Maybe one from you and Yeah, actually, well, some of our questions are kind of similar, so I'm kind of glad you asked what you did because that marks some of off my list. Um, so I, I think I we talked about this a little bit offline, but is there – is there something, and I'd hate to put you guys on the spot uh, and get you in the doghouse, but is there something that you and Cheza disagree? Like, is there something you guys perceive differently regarding the kids? Like, I'll, I'll go first. So we, Aubrey and I went round and round over this one. I think I finally just succumbed to it. But in the, in the Latin culture, it's all about paying respect to the elders, right? Like, I, to this day, I don't call my parents by the first name. I could never think of it. Like it would, it, like I would, I'd be like a pygmy goat. I would fucking freeze and fall over. Like I could not do it. <laughs> with, with, with you whites, it's a little different. I've seen kids call their parents by the first name. And I just think it's the most disrespectful thing on earth. So I always was raised. Yes, sir. No, in Spanish, right? Clearly, but it's yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, it's, it's always, there was always a level of respect that you, when you talk to an elder, like it's all, we respect our elders. Like, you know, it's, it's, it literally is what leads us and guides us. It's a little different for an American Western culture. And so in the beginning we would go and it, it got heated. It never got terrible, but it was like, well, I want him to say, I want Soren to, when he talks to other people to say yes or no, sir. And she's like, I, she's like, no, that's too much. And her reasoning is, and I, and I get it, it's valid. She said, you know, he could still show tact without having to say yes or no, sir. He could still be polite. He could still, you know, whatever. And I, and I understand that, but I said, you know, but if you, but if you just utter those words, it would automatically like change your physiology, right? When you're talking to an elder and you say, sir, or, you know, you know, you're, you're talking with it, it automatically, like your whole physiology change, it's not fake. It's like, Oh no, I'm, I'm paying homage to this person who is well revered and respected within my circle and, and my family, clearly, because my parents respect him or whatever, or even if I'm, you know, whoever I'm talking to anyways, it's something that we've always just, and I, I still, to this day, I still hold, again, it's just because of the way I grew up. And I know that's the way she grew up. Now hers is they were kind of raised like that. And she doesn't like it. She doesn't like, she just always thought it was too much. Like you, Kids, kids should always feel like they could run up to an aunt and uncle and, and, you know, like, oh, it's my aunt so-and-so and blah, 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 and just have that immediate connection, that friendship, you know? 
And so that's something I think we'll always disagree on because we have our own opinions. I don't think we're wrong. Um, clearly, Soren doesn't say yes, sir, no, sir. <laughs> but he but he is a sweet kid. He does show tact. And so I watch him like a hawk when he's interacting with people. And if there's any sign of disrespect, I, I'm there like a cobra ready to nip at him. So um, and that's so that's my default setting. Right. Like I didn't win that battle, but I'm still going to make sure he's he's not disrespectful i do not want to raise a child that you know doesn't respect authority and because that that shit will get you in trouble down the road do you want, do you want to hear what how we did it because it was a bit similar like my family it was we were always mr and mrs whatever the family name was like if i saw my my mates from my mates that i've known since primary school if i saw their parents tomorrow i would not be able to say their first name I'd say Mr. and Mrs. Phillips, Mr. and Mrs. Joyce, like just that, that those words would roll out of my mouth and I would not, like their first name would get stuck in my throat and I'd be the pygmy goat next to me on the ground frozen, right? So I was like, how do we do that now? And it didn't feel like, you know, my kids were like in the, you know, so sort of six, seven years ago, what do we do with them? And we're in Texas with a US Air Force pilot, mate. And all these Texan guys, they sort of figured it out and they were like Mr. First Name. And miss first name. And for you, you're T.O. Raff, right? You're the only one who's T.O. And it's in family, it's Uncle Hugh and Auntie Mel. And when they meet anyone, it's Mr. First Name. Because yeah, they'll hear us saying the first name. And like when Michael talks about my mates, he will say, when they're not even here, he'll say, you know, Uncle Dalla or Mr. You know, Rhino or whatever, Coach Andy. He'll put a title in. It's just, it's just at the very start. And then he does too. And for me, that kept my um, instinct in check. And I think it's a bit of a modern version. And there are some people who are like, no, 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 you can call me so-and-so. And it's like they leave and I'm like, you will not call them that. You will call them Miss and Mister. And I'll give you a little, it's a slightly tough topic, but there is a, a child abuse angle. And it has... They talk about the kids who use the titles. They put a gap between them and the adult. So the adults are not their friends. The adult is not their peer. It puts in an appropriate gap to keep that distance, that they're not someone that they'll run around with. And, you know, like there'll be, it's play adult with a child. It's not play peer with peer. And, and this is in the background of why we chose to do this. Okay, so there's a little bit of research, a bit of a tough topic but it's something I think is what, but worth being aware of that they know that that's not a friend. You know, that's not a, I'll just run around and hold hands with this person. Like that's a, that's a Mr. So-and-so and a Miss So-and-so. And there's a little bit of research there. You can look it up. I know it's a sort of a tough thing to say, but for me, it was the childhood for me was Mr. And Mrs. And family name. And I was like, that's hard for kids because those names don't get come up as much anymore. But I was like, Mr. And Miss first name. And, it's worked. It's worked pretty well for us. Yeah. Now you got me in the spot trying to think. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and it's you just kind of reminded me. So it's funny because he, so uh, Aubrey and Thorne have a great relationship and they, you know, he just makes her laugh hysterically. And some people just say, Aubrey, but the way he says it, it's so funny. Like it is funny. He's so he's, he's tried that on me. He called me by my first name once and I just stared at him and I said, You'll never call me that. I was like, I am your father. You call me dad. And he just said, yes, dad. 
And uh, it's a, anyways, it's just, I, it's, it's funny. I don't know. I just, I figured I'd share that, but it's, you know, but Aubrey has no issues with it. Like she, cause you know, the way he does it, it's kind of like a comical thing. It's not a disrespectful thing, but I just, I cannot get myself to be like, I'm your father. Like I, I have a role. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm fighting yeah. off the goddamn marauders at the wall to make sure they don't come into this house. Look, I'm I'm 100 on your side there, and and we didn't know what we were going to do between the two of us, and it was it was solved for us on a family trip when we went and we visited Texas, and <laughs> there was guys having a few beers and they were driving golf balls off the back lawn, down, you know, a couple hundred meters down into a dam, and that was all Mister This and Mister That, and I thought, you know what, I'm taking this home because I. Some of those Texans with the big belt buckles, I like them. I feel like they're like thirteen <laughs> percent Australian. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm trying to think of the areas where Cherry and I really had some great examples of parenting. I know maybe you've taken a few leaves out of our book. We took some out of um, people like Mike Safi and also uh, a dear friend Be- Rebecca Starling, and she just was like, just love and getting down on eye level with children and talking to them. And like, you know, how do you feel about this? And how do you feel about that? And how does the other person feel about this? And it's just simple. She has these four amazing kids who are now, I think the youngest is 18, you know, into early twenties and married and all this sort of stuff. And we sort of saw that. And I think, I think any disagreements we had happened like behind closed doors. And we were just like, I don't know how to do this. She doesn't know how to do this. And we'll just talk it out in the parenting stuff. Like, I actually don't know. I can't think of anything we have conflict over. I am like inside the house, you're 100% in charge. Like if you've said anything, I don't, I'll be like, what has mum said? Any question I get, there's no way I'm undermining her in the house. Or maybe that's the change, you know what I mean? Like I've recognised, I'm smart enough to follow Clint Eastwood's advice and recognise my own limitations, you know? I'm like in the house, <laughs> she's 100% the boss. And, uh, you know, I go out the door in the morning and, you know, the queen is on the throne sort of thing and this is her realm. So maybe that's something. I just 100% whatever she says inside the house goes and, like, you know, I'll petition her sort of away from the kids and talk about stuff, but I'm like, she's primary. She's here all the time. They go to they go to school, she's here. They come home from school, she's here. And I haven't heard all those conversations that have happened while I've not been here. And I'm just like... You know, I know I'm the two I see. I'm the one standing just behind a meter and a meter to the left. And I've got my mouth <laughs> shut. <laughs> uh, there's other times and places, you know what I mean, where I know like in travel, in transit and stuff, when I'm like, right, i got to get this little flock of chickens from the airport to the hotel safely without any vagrants. Yeah. It's like I know I'm 100% in charge in those moments, you know, I don't even think about it. But domestically, I'm like, yep, I shelved it. Maybe that's my answer, Raph, you know? Like I, I, yeah. learned, <laughs> I learned my place in the home. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's interesting because I think Aubrey and I are still trying to figure that out. Like I, I know that I've got, because we've talked about this, I've got moments where I've come home and I, I think I have expectations and maybe she just didn't see it that way. And, you know, it, it, you know, it's just, it's human nature, man. So um, it, sometimes they, they get not so pretty and other times they work out just fine, but it's just part of growth. So. And it, it's, I think it's recognizing it's new for both of you. And there's always going to be another new step that's coming down. Like there's going to be always new for both of you to deal with. And it's just, these are the things I think you just need to sit and talk. Like I remember sitting with Terry and talking about what are we going to do for discipline? You know, like there was, 
right at the start, my mum visited out here. She's Nana Chris is staying over. And she's a, my mum, the matriarch of the, of the family, right? She's the head of the McFadden yeah. family and has been for a long time and quite a fearsome woman. And, uh, you know, used to lash out with pieces of wooden <laughs> to keep the three McFadden boys in line. And they were bathing Annie together and Annie was like little and she splashed the water in the bath and it went straight in her own eye. And she just sat there and went, fuck. Like perfectly appropriate use of foul language in front of my mum when she was about three. And I mean, uh, 100% I'm responsible for that, right? And Cherry just looked at my mum and was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do here. And so she got soap and washed Annie's mouth out. And Annie's never done that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. For the, for the listeners, Raph's mouth's hanging wide open. And she washed, she washed little Annie's mouth out with soap and Annie never, ever, ever, she's never sworn she hates foul language and everything, right? And Cherry was a bit like, I think I need to do this in front of Paul's mum, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, because she's heard stories about the Tabasco sauce in a older brother's mouth and the soap into our mouths when we were, you know, foul young boys. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, you know, you figure this stuff out yourself. And I remember talking with my mum about it years later. Mum was like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe what Cherry did, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I don't think anyone's got, and there's no book of answers. And the, the answers you have for like child one won't work for child two. And the answers you have for child one at, at age three and one month won't work at three and six months. So I think you just have to have comms. You know what I mean? The command chain, need, the, the command team need to get together for every so often have orders groups. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you, man. And I, it doesn't hurt to, you know, have people like Dr. Jordan Peterson and Stephen Covney and all those guys like just read, cause some of these guys are Titans and they know what they're talking about. They've done the research and you can apply that. But I, I think you nailed it in the very beginning where you said, you know, at the center of it, at the core of it, it has to come from love, right? Whatever you do, even if it's discipline, it has to come from love. And if you do that, I mean, it'll keep pretty straight and narrow. Like it'll, you know, even if you screw it up, it's like, all right, execution was terrible, but the intent was there. The love was there. You know, like you said, even if you discipline at the end of it, you know, we do the same thing with Sora. And after we discipline him and send him to his room when he's crying, you know, tell him to get his life together. And then, well, that's my line. Hey, get your life together. But I don't think he thinks it's funny, <laughs> but he'll go just, you know, get rid of his tears in his room. Then he comes back and, you know, we always hug him and we kiss him and we tell him we love him. You know, just let them know that it, like we don't hold grudges like that's And that's something that Aubrey brought into to this home is she wants to make it clear that no matter what the issue is, we we will not hold grudges. And that's yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing, because I'm a grudge holder, like a son of a bitch. Like, you know, you 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 steal <laughs> yeah, yeah. my fry. Yeah, yeah, you you take something from my plate. I will never forget, you know. Yeah. 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 That that grudge thing, it's good. Like, well, like to have an end. So that the discipline evolution yeah. ends yeah. and you can go back to happy life, right? That's a key. Another one I'll just leave, we're just about at the end here, but I will just say in discipline, I really feel like the parent has to be the one retaining control of themselves. The child can be doing whatever they want. As soon as the parent becomes emotional or upset or God forbid, angry, like you've lost whatever Whatever the goal was of, w- of what the discipline situation is, you've, you've just you've lost. You need to back the throttle right off, regain like break contact if you need to, call for support, get the other parent in there if, you, if you've got them there, 
because that is a sure sign you're on on a terrible, terrible path. So if you feel anger rising up, do something about it immediately and control yourself because the child needs the parent to provide that, you know, they're looking for a framework in those moments and they want yeah. someone else yeah. to be calm and then you being calm lets them let that passion out and then they can get back to calm. And if you're putting, adding passion in, in that moment, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So a couple of, man, I was really looking forward to this conversation all day. No joke. I just, yeah. I, I know, I know how seriously you take this stuff, man. And I, I, I know that we'll keep talking about this over the many years ahead of us, ahead of us. And um, I, I was absolutely looking forward to this. I was, but it was like elation when I knew that Mike wasn't going to be here. I'm like, ah, oh, so finally we get a break. Finally, I have to look at his, you know, his uh, Ernie, his Ernie and Bert outfits. <laughs> uh, it's so good when he's not here. He's going to be subset. He's going to be All right. So a couple of points on parenting, um, specifically fathering, because. God knows we're not good enough at fathering to even think about offering advice on mothering. That's way outside our uh, pay grade. Um, we would love to hear from you guys about stuff that you have challenges, things that you found hard beliefs you've changed as a parent and uh, yeah, let us know, let us know what, what parts of this have resonated with you or if you've got a different opinion and uh, we'd love to hear from you. We answer all the emails and messages we get. And we're looking for loads of uh, reviews. Stuff for the words really helps with the algorithm. And we'll take all the five-star uh, reviews you've got to give. And, uh, well, next week you'll unfortunately be rejoined by Mike. So until then, <laughs> stay safe, stay safe, and take care. <laughs>